Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. We're back. It's uh, September 23rd, so we're a week away from October. I'm joined, as always, by my BSL colleagues, Matt Corey and Dr. Stephen Loftus. First, a word from the sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. They're a third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster. For all your flooring needs, thank Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So let's get the update, guys. Where is Mount Castle in the uh, Roy race as of today? Um, I have him behind Randy, behind a lot of guys, actually. I know he's been playing really well, uh, but behind a Rosarania, um, probably not Wander Franco, despite his, you know, really good play in a small uh, group of games. He, he's probably not played enough, uh, really. Akil Badu of the Tigers. Um, I mean, he might even be behind Bobby Dahlbeck, who's been one of the best hitters in baseball over the last month and a half, bizarrely. Um, so, yeah, somewhere in there. I, I'm going to assume he's going to get some votes, but um, probably not win. Steven, do you concur? Yeah, I'm kind of in that same line. I have him. Somewhere in the five to ten range, give or take, like a Rosarena, Luis Garcia team seem to kind of top that sort of uh, discussion. But I think the fact that you know he's reached thirty home runs now and all of that sort of thing, I think that's going to grab him a few extra votes that uh, might separate him from that kind of mid tier pack of Wander Franco, Akil Badu, Logan Gilbert, Tanner Houck, even Dahlback sort of thing. Like all of them, there seems to be this. Uh, large middle group. And I think the 30 home run uh, milestone might give him a little bit of a boost. I'd say eh, maybe about, if I was guessing about fifth, maybe sixth, sort of, sort of a range for his finish. Yeah. I'm just taking a quick look at the, uh, uh, the F war rankings and uh, uh, haven't sorted out yet from a, there we go. Just American league. Uh, so yeah, Garcia uh, 2.7, uh, Rosarena two six, Franker two two. Yeah, they're all right in there. I, I didn't mention Garcia because his on base percentage yeah. is so hideous. Yeah, um, and so much of his value comes but... from the glove. Yeah, I mean, he's right, like a league right. average offensive player, mm-hmm. and for something like rookie of the year, I think they're going to. I think there's still a slight uh, preference, or maybe even a strong preference, for a more offensive oriented player if you're going for a batter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, funny if we're just sorting by F. War uh, Urias uh, still ahead of Mount Castle in overall uh, F. War, but that's uh, that's because they hate him. Uh, they hate Mount Castle's defense. Yeah, uh-huh. and they. I mean, they're uh, equivalent in terms of offensive value. In terms of like a league yeah. average, you know, Urias is like one fourteen WRC plus Mount Castle one thirteen, so they're pretty close. Although a lot fewer plate appearances. So, yeah, uh, I. Do you think the kind of traditional numbers 
I bet we see Mountcastle finish a little bit higher in the voting than uh, maybe we're, we're anticipating. They're, they're echoing, Stephen, kind of agree with your thoughts. Uh, but more to the point, uh, whether he wins any hardware or not, bottom line is after that rough April, he rebounded and, and has been a uh, productive bat for months, which is uh, obviously a good sign for the Orioles going, going forward as you have a cheap, productive piece who can – Either stand at first or wind up at DH. Either either way, and, and provide uh, uh, offensive value while he doesn't cost much. So that's a win. We'll take that. Yeah, they've got you know three. I want to say three pretty good offensive pieces. I think you know with uh, with Mullins and and Mountcastle, um, and uh, sorry Mancini. Um, and yeah, uh, you know three good above average hitters is not a lineup, but um, but it's a step towards one. So one of the other possible pieces in a projectable lineup or another guy that could be completely out of the mix by this time next year is Santander. Uh, so at Masson, there was a uh, linked uh, quote from Orioles manager Brandon Hyde. And Hyde says, uh, Santander swung the bat really well today, feeling better. And you can tell in the swings and – uh, you know, it's been a tough year for him. Hasn't been himself the majority of the year, you know, referring to the ankle injury that uh, he sprained in April that uh, kind of was an issue for some time. Uh, but he says, actually, the last month he's moved around the best. He's moved all year long. Bat speed's been back. It looks like in, uh, he's in his legs a little bit more. You can see the finish of his swing. I really like Anthony a lot. Again, this is Hyde speaking. I think he has got a lot of upside. We saw what he could do in a short spring last year. Even two years ago, he really showed the tools he has and has some really good moments where you thought the guy could be a middle-of-the-order bat, switch in or play corner outfield defense. And then this year, the ankle happened uh, right away, and he never got going. So, But Hyde says, I've been encouraged by the last month. His swing's been better, and he's shown more of the kind of player that I think he's going to be. So could be manager hyperbole or, you know, just a, uh, uh, you know, comments there about a player. Uh, but I'm going to, what I take out of that is pretty straightforward. I think Hyde's a, a fan and enough to the point where I believe Santander will be back uh, starting next year, um, at least opening day wise and you'll he'll probably get a couple hundred at bats and they'll see where his production is before they uh, they make any type of a move so there have been some conjecture at the uh, at the BSL board wondering if he would even be offered uh, arbitration <laughs> uh, I expect that to happen you know just uh, I'll get your guys thoughts. Steven, just general thoughts on either Hyde's comments or your thoughts on Santander in general. <laughs> Santander is just so frustrating at times. Like you do see that potential. You do see the things that he can bring to a lineup, you know, last year's short season. And yes, it's a very short season or this past month, you know, you see the potential that can be there and yeah, sure. He's only 26, so maybe there's some room for growth there. But the challenge is, again, other than the short 2020 season, he's never been a league average bat. 
either by the actual production or by what you expect from the underlying numbers. Like he can hit the ball but and hit it hard at times, but even accounting for stuff like that, he's never shown up as a league average bat other than the shortened season. And I mean, next year his, is his second arbitration year if it gets that far. So this year he's making $2.1 million. It's been a rough year, but he's going to be in line for some sort of a raise. You know, maybe winds out at three and a half, four million dollar $4 million range. And the Orioles cut Hanser Alberto last year, um, who was lining up for ARB2, was probably going to be due for a bit of a raise uh, to around the $3 million range. Now, you can argue Santander is better in that way, but you can also argue that the Orioles have more options at the corner outfield position. So it makes it very difficult to say. I mean, I think that he likely holds a spot due to where the Orioles are in the rebuild and the idea that maybe that 2020 form can be recaptured and traded. But I think it's solely because of where we are in the rebuild. If we were two years down the line and he was performing like this, I think he'd be gone. I think it's just, again, due to where we are now. But I mean, again, the other options are there. And so the leash is going to have to be pretty short, you'd think. Yeah, Matt. So uh, as Stephen echoes, uh, it's he, he's just under 1,100 career at-bats this year. His uh, OPS is uh, like 720. He's 745 for his career. If you look at the uh, on base this year, it's 289. It's 291 for his career. Slugging just under averages, you know, pretty much right in line with his career numbers. So it gives you kind of a, uh, you know, a ballpark number where he is, and basically it's a below average on on base with uh, some pop and, you know, uh, maybe an adequate uh, corner outfielder. Uh, so, you know, probably not going to expect any uh, jump in his own base percentage uh, unless there's some corresponding jump in his average. Uh, his walk percentage has remained pretty uh consistent for the last couple of years it's 5.3% this year 5.1 for his career so you know is this what he is should they should they be giving him another look into next year or would you think uh would you make the argument that they shouldn't not offer arbitration and they should just uh cut ties uh now i mean i think steven makes a good point um about about this you know we're based on where they are I mean, you know, it, it's always it's always a, a game of choices, right? So, you know, are they going to go out and and sign, a, you know, a George Springer to replace him? No, no. Obviously, George Springer is not a free agent anyway. But you know, just off the top of my head, some some name that popped in my head that they're they're not going to make a big move like that. Um, it's just not really where they are, and it's arguably not who they are either. So. I think it makes sense to hold on to him for another year. And like Steven says, give him a short leash and see if you can pull something out that hasn't been there over any kind of long period so far. Um, but you do it with the understanding that as soon as that spot becomes crowded, you can, you make a move, you know, um, if, if somebody, comes up, you know, if a Colton Kowser forces his way up or, um, you know, something along those lines, somebody, somebody comes up and, and, uh, you know, pushes for the position that, and he hasn't shown that he can take that next step. Um, then, then you move on, um, you know, and 
he's he's a fine placeholder, but what he's doing isn't good enough. And so it needs to be um the, the question to answer is is there more in there? Is there more that the organization can get out of him, you know, on the field um going forward? And and if the answer is yes, and it sounds like Hyde thinks so, then I think he's totally worth spending, you know, three, three and a half million dollars on a one year deal. You know, I mean, they're not spending that money on anybody else. Yeah, uh, I think you, I think you framed that very well, Matt. In that they aren't going to be doing something else if they believe there's further, uh, there's more there, whether there is or not. That's not a large investment to bring him back at and to give him a couple hundred at bats. To okay, you have the opportunity. You produce or you don't. If you don't, there's people knocking on the door at this point to you know. Uh, come and replace you. Uh, so that would be my anticipation of what happens. You know, the average, you know, it's kind of funny looking at his career stats. Uh, so 19 and 20, he was at 261, uh, his average both years. Obviously, 20 in the uh, abridged uh, season. And for him, extremely abridged as he was injured most of the last September, he had the, uh, you know, extreme uh, slugging percentage, at least based off of his uh, career averages. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some talent there. It's fine as a placeholder, and he can come back. We'll see where he is over a couple hundred at-bats next year, and, and then they can uh, they can figure that out at that point. But yeah. if you do something, you know, over the course of the offseason, you know, I mean, if the Orioles determine, oh, yeah. this guy's available or, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, whatever moves they decide to make, you you can pretty easily justify pushing him out if there's someone, you know, who has shown the propensity to uh, actually be an above average player. Well, there's a couple of outfielders, um, you know, within the system uh, at this point, you're uh, you know, they're kind of pushing. Uh, they had, uh, you know, Kyle Stowers. Uh, he had a pretty uh, uh, b- a big year overall. Um, you know, uh, uh, some people would like to see a further look at like a guy like McKenna, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that I'm not enthralled with either one of them enough that I, I think it's necessary that you have to uh, – push Santander out today. Uh, I, I think you can. Uh, and neither of them, you know, judging based yeah. on just physical attributes and what, you know, what they've shown in small sample sizes, neither of those guys has the, you know, the quote unquote ceiling that, that you could, you know, squint and see from Anthony Santander. So I, I think you, uh, you hold on to that as, as long as you can, if you're a team like the Orioles, if, if they can turn him into an above average player, that's fantastic. Huge win. Yeah. Uh, and even a league league average player would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, pretty important. You know, Stowers, you look at him, I mean, he, he put up 27 homers this year across uh, multiple levels, finished a year in AAA. Um, cumulatively for the year, he had a 9-10 OPS over 416 at-bats. Yeah, there, there are some things to like. There are things to like when he was drafted, but he's also, you know, he's 23. Uh, so. Strikes out a third of the time. 
Right. Yeah, that was kind of where I was going to lead. I was like, uh, yeah, you strike it down a third, a third of the time. Uh, our Verge colleagues, and forgive me which person internally of the system they had on, but they kind of, uh, uh, the discussion was that they're kind of being, we've talked overall generally where we are in baseball with the three true outcomes. And I know we don't really care about strikeouts at this point, but basically they're being told prospects only concentrate on high damage and do not do not care about uh, contact and average at all at, at this point. So, but my question, Stephen, would be if you are struggling with contact in the minors, I can't imagine that's going to be <laughs> any better. <laughs> It, it generally isn't the greatest predictor of suddenly becoming a 300 hitter. Yeah. <laughs> and your contact to damage ratio, if you are struggling with contact there, you're going to be further exposed at the, uh, at, at the major league level. But Yeah, absolutely. But I, I will admit, though, with someone like Stowers, who, yeah, he's striking out a third of the time, he is uh, – putting up decent power numbers, you know, as you said, 27 homers across three levels, you know, refreshingly for an Orioles prospect, or at least uh, maybe for the Orioles major league team, he walks somewhere around like one out of eight plate appearances, you know, walks over 10% of the time. So, you know, that's not bad. Like if, if you're going to, if you're going to strike out a lot, if you're not going to put the ball in play as much, you better have some walks in there to balance it out. My thought just overall, and just to kind of end this topic would be, Hey, Santander's back for, let's say, through Memorial Day next year, and he's either doing more or he's not. And then, then if you want to replace him with Stowers, then more power to you. But I, I just, for the relatively low cost in what arbitration is, and again, going back to what we've talked about for weeks and months, frankly, thinking, thinking about the Orioles, what should be available to them in terms of their payroll flexibility, they should be able to pay Santander's arbitration and have have both of them and and, uh, and and be able to move forward, but yeah. Uh, I mean, if they went, to see, uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, if they if they went the other way, though, if they said, you know what, we're not even gonna pay him three and a half or whatever, we're just gonna cut him loose. I, th- I mean, at that point, I I'm sort of inclined to go with okay, <laughs> you know, start start uh, the 2024 bandwagon. It's probably not the worst thing. I mean, if they have inside knowledge of him, they know all about him. And if they don't think he's worth $3 million, then. Well, actually you both really just made really interesting point points there. Uh, You know, one, uh, if you don't think it's worth it, fine, but reinvest that money somewhere else. Right. 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 Uh, And Steven, uh, your point was, Okay. Forget well, 22, 20. forget 23, you know, start aiming at that point. You're looking at 2024. Yeah. I mean, at, at that yeah. point you're, you're, you're thinking again, you know, later because you're, you're, I mean, the reason I would like to see Santander back is because I believe him and his age 27 season is going to be more productive probably than, uh, well, I guess I should think about that as well because it's, not so much what production are you going to provide now on a team that's probably still, you know, nowhere close to being able to contend. You want to evaluate the next guy that has a chance to be part of your next winning team. But 
I think Santander still has that chance to be a piece, maybe in just a, uh, maybe the upside is only becoming an average piece, but yeah, I'd still like to evaluate that just a little bit further. But uh, like you said, Matt, it's not the end of the world if they move on, but it is pretty telling uh, if they do. Uh, all right, so that was Hyde and his comments, and it was a story in the Baltimore Sun today saying that Hyde will return as the Orioles manager in 22. Apparently the contract was extended last offseason. I think we can go through this pretty quickly, but just generally, uh, he hasn't had anything to work with, so it's pretty hard to evaluate uh, anything about him. And we've also talked about just how much value does a manager actually have, so I think it's absolutely fine that he's back. I would have also thought it was fine if, hey, you would have said, hey, for the next phase, we just want another face, but, you know, but... Maybe that happens after 22 and if they – Or 24. Be, or 24, <laughs> yeah. Whenever we're going to decide we'd like to try and be good at that point. But, you know, I think it's fair to him to like you – know, certainly it, it would be fair to him whenever they were good for him to have a chance to manage that team, but life's not always fair. But as far as being back for 22, Matt, you, you would think that is fine. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I had sort of three notes on this one. I, um, I think, uh, just like you said, Chris, it's not entirely clear that, you know, he's a, a, a great tactical manager. I mean, he literally hasn't been asked to do that his entire time with the Orioles, but you know, there haven't been, uh, any big blowups in the clubhouse. You know, he's dealing with a lot of losing. He's dealing with some transient players. He's dealing with a lot of young guys. Um, and, you know, at least from the outside, which is all I have to deal with, um, you know, he's, he's done a pretty good job, uh, you know, with all those, all, all those different aspects. Um, so yeah, I don't have any problem with him, him sticking around, you know, in perpetuity until, until you get to a point where, you know, he's asked to do something that he can't do, but so far he seems like he's, he's done, um, all of that pretty well. There's been no San Diego Padres type, you know, falling apart or anything like that. Um, the the odd part was, first of all, one it's a one year extension, which is okay. Um, but what are we going to learn about Brandon Hyde next year that we don't know now? You know, <laughs> uh, so I found I found that the term odd. Um, and then the other thing was, why are we hiding this? Like it, it was apparently agreed to. A while ago, last, off, last last year, yeah, and then it just came out. out like a couple of days ago or something. Um, I would think that one of the benefits of a contract extension like this would be to let the players and fans know that Hyde has the backing of the front office, and that's that's a pretty important, uh, you know, impromptu. Uh, is that the word? Impromptu, uh, signature, whatever. Um, I, I'm trying, uh, trying to sound smart here, but it, it's an it's an important thing uh, for uh, for managers to have nowadays. So yeah, that, that uh, would be the uh, well the intrinsic value, but the fact that they only gave a one year extension apparently, and it's only through 22. And as we've discussed, we're not sure if they're going to actually make tangible steps to improve. Do you really have have the support of the front office? I mean. So that would that would be the kind of devil's advocate, Stephen. Is there would That's you have point. would you have said at this point, hey, you have 
uh, Brandon, it's certainly not on you that uh, the team hasn't been better, but at this point we just need another face, or do you think it's fine that he is back? I, I, I still think it's fine at this point. Again, my two notes were, why not keep him, and what did you expect the record to be anyways? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's unfortunately true in that regard, but also the, you know, in, in more practical concerns, like if you're going to replace him, you have to have a candidate that you honestly think is better, either yeah. going to be better tactically, which again, we said is not the type of questions that Hyde has been asked at this point, or is a better fit for the organization. And this, you know, Hyde was Elias's choice from the start. Hyde and Elias have been together here from the beginning of their tenure with the Orioles for all intents and purposes here. And so if suddenly he doesn't fit the culture, that would be an odd sort of, uh, odd sort of admission. And also an odd, again, thing that, all of this was so quietly agreed to and has been unknown for this long, basically. So again, I don't necessarily think there are clearly better options out there, again, for either a culture or a tactical standpoint. So, you know, why not keep him? Give him the opportunity to, you know, more talent should be on the way. Let's see how he manages this young, more talent that should be, again, coming up in the next year or so, hopefully. Getting past the whole idea of just how much value a manager actually provides, it's kind of an odd position that these guys are placed in at the start of a rebuild like this, where you're certainly not held accountable for any results beyond maybe potential development of a couple of players here and there. What is their progression? Yeah. Winning uh, and losing isn't actually important, but, but there are ways to be successful, I think in this role. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I, you pointed out uh, several of them, Matt. I mean, the other thing would be, like, are the players that are there, you know, whether they, you know, are capable of performing or not, are they, you know, as, as much as you can evaluate hustle <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, are you still playing? Uh, and there, there's some of that. It would be nice for him to, uh, I'm sure, uh, if he can get through to the other side, at least to the point where, hey, we're trying to actually win some games and, you know, be able to evaluate off of that that performance. Uh, and just, the, the, you know, Stephen, I wouldn't really think it would be like, hey, you're not a culture fit, but I would think there would be something to the idea of, hey, we just got to put some other face there publicly after you have, you, you know, you're not your flaw, but you've accumulated on your record so so many L's that there's just a lack of. Is there ever going to be a confidence in your uh, your, your abilities? But oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And maybe we'll culture wasn't quite maybe culture wasn't quite the right term. But I guess, especially in this day and age, with so many uh, tactical decisions coming from the front office, the idea of the manager not only being a um, a leader on the field, but also a, or a leader in the dugout, but a conduit between the front office and players in terms of helping communicate and all yeah. of that. So if suddenly Hyde wasn't that person, that would be an odd admission. So again, maybe not culture in the traditional clubhouse sense, but organizational sort of a culture, I that, guess. Yeah, that that's a great point, Stephen. Appreciate the clarification there. So that's enough Orioles talk for today. Let's jump over uh, to the AEL wildcard race, which again is really represented by the rest of the American League East with uh, Tampa winning, uh, uh, going to win the division. 
Boston has won seven in a row. They are now two games up of New York. The Jays are half a game back of the Yankees. Uh, so how would you see Boston, Toronto, uh, Chicago, excuse me, Boston, New York, Chicago, and Houston? And who are we expecting at this point? Are we still uh, expecting Boston and Toronto to, uh, to be the two wild cards? Or are we now thinking New York uh, uh, will hold on to that second wild card? And Stephen, we can start with you. Matt, this will probably terrify you, but I think Boston is, you know, quote unquote, safe. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Fangraphs gives me at this point, what, a 97% chance of managing it. You know, it's nice to have that sort of lead going in. And again, I do think the... Uh, I do think it's going to be Toronto. The Yankees oddly control their own destiny. I mean, they have their six of their last nine are against Boston and Toronto. So if they could manage to sweep those six games, you know, all of a sudden they're going to be at the top of the heap. So oddly enough, even though the Yankees, I think, I, I don't think they're done or anything, but I, I'm going to lean Toronto, but weirdly the Yankees absolutely control their fate. And uh, since New York is uh, currently the second wild card there, Stephen. Or if you want to include Toronto, since you believe they'll be the second wild card, how, how would you seed them, uh, Boston, Chicago, and Houston, with with the belief that you're probably seeding Tampa as the uh, the best team in the American League? <laughs> Houston's definitely the second best team, I think. I think they've put up a lot of results this year. They've shown themselves to be an incredibly strong team. They have a – well, I mean, the Rays have a different approach to pitching, but uh, they definitely have a stronger rotation, I would say, than the Rays, Houston does. And then I, Chicago's been kind of meh the last ha, – hasn't been impressing incredibly, but I still would have them – Toronto's coming on strong. If Toronto can come through, assuming they get there, Toronto might be the third seed and then Chicago and the Red Sox, even though I think they're going to win the first wild card, they just kind of scare me going into the playoffs in a sense. So I think I would still lean Chicago, Toronto, Boston as the uh, three, four, five. And Matt, how about yourself? Uh, Who gets a second wild card and how would you seed that group? Yeah, it's hard to pick against the Blue Jays, even though that they're, you know, they're technically a half game behind the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have a much tougher schedule going forward. You know, as, as you noted, the Yankees play the Blue Jays, which is good for the Yankees, but it's also good for the Blue Jays, you know. So, um, and I think the Blue Jays have a stronger team. They have a stronger rotation. Definitely right now they have a stronger offense. They have one of the best offenses in baseball, if not the best, um, maybe behind Houston. Um, so uh, I think the, I mean, the Red Sox have, three against the Yankees at home, and then they play six on the road to finish the year. Those six are in Baltimore and in Washington. I mean, they ought to be able to win four or five of those, you'd think. Um, as long as they don't get swept by the Yankees, you've got to think they're going to get one of the wild cards. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with Steven. I, I would take Boston. Um, I actually wrote about this today um, for my newsletter. Uh, I, I actually think it's really important for the Red Sox to get home field advantage. Normally I don't pay much attention to home field, but the way the Red Sox are a bad defensive team and the fact that they could play the Blue Jays on turf um, and be forced to play either um, Kyle Schwarber or JD Martinez in left field at uh, oh boy. a major league stadium. Um, <laughs> that's not Fenway. Uh, I think that could, that could go badly. So um, 
yeah, uh, staying at the top of the wild card heap would be pretty big for the Red Sox if they want to make any kind of run. Um, but uh, to answer your other, your other question, um, you know, I, I I agree. I think um, I think Houston is probably number one, and um, but you know, it's close. I actually I don't think there's a team that I mean, if you look at run differential, there's three big teams, you know, Houston, Tampa, and Toronto. And, you know, Toronto may not even make the playoffs. <laughs> I'm not sure what that tells us, but um, I, I, I think any team that enters into the playoffs could come out of the AL side. I think the National League is going to be a little, uh, you know, a little more uh, easier to predict, but but yeah. I wouldn't be shocked at any of the teams in the AL coming out. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, the American League's uh, pretty interesting. And then with the, you know, Tampa winning the East and then the other three non-Baltimore teams competing for the two wildcard spots. I mean, it talks about the strength overall of the division. Obviously, they've all benefited by playing the Orioles, but they've all had to play themselves and each other as well. Uh, So uh, the Central and the West, I mean, the West had a couple of uh, decent you know, good teams, but uh, they've both fallen off of the wild card as well. So it's, uh, you know, really, again, shows the strength of the East. Uh, let's jump to the National League. Uh, a little bit less interesting. The Dodgers obviously going to get uh, the either the first wild card if they can't overtake San Francisco. The Cardinals have won 11 in a row. They're now four and a half games of Cincinnati, uh, ahead of Cincinnati. So... I think we have our two wild cards, so a little bit less interesting in the National League. Uh, we can discuss those teams, or we can just talk about San Diego. And are you ready to pour one out for the Padres there, Matt? Yeah, uh, the, the Padres, boy. I think there was a legit discussion on this podcast and lots of places at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, were the Padres the best team in baseball? And and they may not even make the playoffs and they, they won't make the playoffs actually, uh, you know, based on, on where they are right now, they're six games out of the wild card, and they're obviously not going to catch San Francisco or, um, or the Dodgers. So at yeah, uh, a pretty uh, terrible outcome for, for the Padres this season. And uh, it seems like, you know, rumblings out of San Diego have them, kind of blowing everything up. I mean, I don't know about their team. Like they, you know, they, their infield yeah, is their farm director, right? Yeah. yeah. Who, I mean, you know, who knows? I, what do I know about the San Diego Padres farm director? I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but I know the Padres, um, you know, I've had a great farm system. system. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it would seem like uh, that's, that's not the problem. Maybe it's the guy who assembled the team, but he's not going to fire himself. Probably not. So um <laughs> The rest of, uh, you know, the coaching staff is probably going to go at the end of the year. But, you know, the the thing is they're kind of locked in. You know, they've got a bunch of guys on long-term deals and a bunch of guys that, um, you know, they've traded a, a huge amount of prospect capital to, to get and bring in. Um, I mean, that infield is a $600 million infield, mm-hmm. uh, if not more. Um, so... I don't, you know. Yeah, so maybe, maybe they underachieved this year. Obviously, they dealt with with some injuries that you know have to be. You know, Every team deals with injuries, though. I mean, yeah, I, you know, they. I don't think they've gotten crushed by injuries more than anyone else. Well, then, then the biggest uh, difference in the equation would be well, I guess differences would be 
one, and I'd have to look player by player about who who underachieved or, or, or otherwise. But I think the biggest variance would really be none of us expected San Francisco to be what San Francisco yeah. was this year. Uh, I missed uh, on yeah. that badly. I didn't see that oh, yeah. coming. I think everyone. I thought I thought San Francisco might be five hundred ish, but I didn't expect them to be. You know, uh, September twenty third, he told me they're a game game ahead of San Francisco of L.A. I I would have uh, two games ahead of L.A. I would have lost on that bet uh, uh, significantly. Stephen, any any thoughts there? With uh, you want to talk about St. Louis or San Diego or? LA or just a national league in general, any thoughts there? Uh, honestly, I, even though they're not going to make the playoffs, I do think San Diego is the most interesting just from the going forward perspective. Cause as you know, as y'all said, they're pretty well locked in. I mean, right now they're the fourth high, highest salary, um, you know, total salary in terms of like the tax and all that sort of thing. They're at 205 million in terms of uh, payroll tax concerns, or at least they were at opening day. And, so they're butting up against the tax next year. They're already set for $150 million in salaries before arbitration. And yeah, there's discussion about all of the stuff in the clubhouse and there's apparently going to be turnover in the front office. It's going to be interesting. I will say just like, you know, this time of year, it's always interesting to see where some of those front office moves start happening. Like, you know, um, yesterday it was announced that Sam Andre Cohen is going to be leaving the nationals to some team. And, you know, Sam, built the Nationals analytics department up from scratch. So like, you know, he doesn't have a team right now. Could he be going out to San Diego to try to do that? Who knows? I mean, but it's going to be interesting what changes they're going to react to again, not only on the field, but in that front office, but even so like talent wise, they're still pretty well set up next year. I would still probably bet on them to wind out with a higher record than the giants. If I had to right now, just based on the talent that's on the field. And again, it just seems to be, you know, every year there's that one team that underperforms, and this seems to be their year in that regard. So, yeah, yeah right. I, I just uh, even 162 game season, you do get variance, and not everything goes according to plan. Uh, if you believe in the talent, uh, then you can run it back. It doesn't seem to be a limitation of talent there with, with the Padres. Now we saw Machado and Tatis over the weekend, and uh, that could be. Uh, uh, an interesting discussion of maybe there's something else going on in the clubhouse, but you know, none of us are close enough to really, you know, speak on that directly. So speaking on Tatis, though, we can finish with this. Who is the National League MVP? Uh, and uh, Stephen, you can start there. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> it's weird. I... So the top four war leaders in, by like baseball reference, none of them are going to make the playoffs. Fangraph's leader is uh, a pitcher. And so how many you know MVP pitchers are you going to see these days sort of thing? So like it seems to be one of those heavily split vote things. If I had to give it, I think I'd give it to Bryce Harper at this point. Like even if the Phillies don't make the playoffs, he caught fire at the right time and, you know, at least led them to the precipice of there. And he seems to be having a better offensive season than Tatis at this point um, after all things said and done, you know, neither of their defenses are incredible by both by um, any metrics. So if I had to lean, um, you know, I probably lean Harper. I mean, he, there might've been one other MVP year that he should have had somewhere in the past, you know, in a year like this, I I'd be willing to give it to him. But if you argued Corbin Burns or if you argued Tatis, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended. <laughs> 
Harper a fine vote. He certainly was getting some MVP chance in the stands when the Orioles played the Phillies earlier this week with uh, Philly struggling in that series more than any team that would like to be contending for the playoffs. Uh, uh, should have been, but Matt, uh, about you, who would be your vote? Yeah, uh, I, I'm sort of waffling between Harper and Tatis. Um, you know, Tatis is, a, you know, just the fact that he, he's played shortstop most of the year. Um, you know, his offensive contributions are a hair below, um, you know, Harper's Harper has him in on base percentage by 60 points. Um, but you know, Tatis is at 369, which is, uh, a great and B nice. Um, Tatis also has 40 homers, which is a nice round number that uh, Harper doesn't have. So I don't know. I, I could kind of go either way on that. Harper's had the better uh, batting line, but um, it's probably going to be one of those guys. I mean, I think you can make a case for Juan Soto, but usually when you're picking a guy off of a last place team, he's got to really stand out. And, and Soto, as great as he is, hasn't really stood out, you know, well ahead of the other guys uh, in the NL. And kind of the same argument for pitchers, you know, pitchers have their own awards. So to have somebody, uh, you know, a pitcher win the MVP, usually they have to be far ahead, uh, you know, of all the hitters. And there really isn't a guy who I think stands way out ahead of, of any of the hitters, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Walker Bueller, all having fantastic years. And one of them will win the Cy Young and they'll be deserving. But um I guess I guess right now I'll agree with Steven and I'll say uh, I'll say Harper, but it's kind of half-hearted him or Tatis. Yeah, Tatis. Uh, I think if he plays every game the rest of the year, I think he finishes with like 130 games played. Uh, that's I didn't really do the math there, but I think that's right. Um, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. There's uh, 30 games. 32 games uh, that you miss, uh, at least on the counting stats, that kind of uh, that, that pulls him uh, uh, pulls him down. But uh, a little bit more interesting on the National League side, or excuse me, on the American League side in terms of uh, the wild card race and some of the uh, games left to be played these last you know last week plus. But we're right on the precipice of October, and that'd be great to watch another October without the Orioles. I'll really enjoy that. But as soon as we get that done, we can get one close uh, step closer to the uh, GM meetings, and then the winter meetings. Really, my highlight of the winter. So I'm really excited about uh, about all of that. So, uh, for Stephen and Matt, uh, thanks for listening. Come and join us at the board, BaltimoreSportsLife.com. You can follow all the Orioles discussion. Uh, some in recent days it's been pretty interesting at the board i'll let you find that and then also our mlb section where you can find the teams that will be in the playoffs this uh uh in the next couple of weeks thanks for listening take care we'll be back next week